1: What's up, everybody? Greg Ehrenberg here from Stochastic.com. It is time to break down UFC 291, an event that I've been looking forward to for a really long time, so excited to break down some of the fights here for you. As you come in, like the video, subscribe to the YouTube channel. It really does help keep all of our content free on the YouTube channel, and it's only going to take you, what, 0.6 seconds or something like that to click that like button, so click the thumbs up. It really does help us out a whole bunch. And also, we're sponsored by DraftKings Rainmakers. If you guys have not checked out the Rainmakers product at DraftKings, there's a link below that if you click on it, it's going to take you to the DraftKings page to get you a totally free PGA Starters Pack to help you make some money over there with totally free cards for the PGA product. Obviously, here we're going to be talking about MMA, but why not take advantage of some free money and click on that link to claim your free Starters Pack, which comes with a stud golfer of your choosing, like John Rom, Scotty Scheffler, Roy McIlroy. Which one of those guys you like the best, you can start building your collection around them. And now, let's start talking about UFC 291, although also... I had a really good week last week, and uh, it was one of the better weeks I had had in a little bit here. So one thing I wanted to show on screen here, just some of my results from last week. So did really well in Rainmakers Contest. If I could only find the right thing that I wanted to click here. There we go. As if I've never done this before. Do a million of these videos per day and just couldn't figure out what I wanted to click in StreamYard because I'm a total idiot here. But anyway... Yeah, did really well in Rainmakers last week. I had a couple of lineups fish in the top five of the rare contest, had a handful of lineups in the top hundred. So overall, super profitable, made a couple thousand dollars for the card, and hopefully could build on the momentum for this week. Because like I said, I've been looking forward to this card for a really long time. Justin Gaethje, Dustin Poirier, the rematch between the two of them. You guys know what happened in the first one. Dustin Poirier, fourth round finish over Justin Gaethje. And it's one that we're really going to want to target for DraftKings and Rainmakers purposes once again. I'm going to have either Poirier or Gaethje in every single one of my lineups for tomorrow. And uh, one thing I should note also is that weigh-ins happened a little while ago, and I was trying to wait until we found out whether the Wonderboy Thompson fight against Michelle Pereira is actually going to happen or not. Pereira missed weight by a few pounds at the time I'm recording. I don't know whether that fight is going to happen, so I'll add some insight into how I think that fight could play out given all the information we have right now. But uh, at least as of right now, if I had to guess, I think it's probably a little more likely to not happen than to happen. But it's going to be really impactful for the DFS slate, obviously. That aside, everybody else made weight, which is good because we don't have a ton of fights on this card. Or sorry, Venetia Salvador missed weight, but the fight is still going to happen. I should say that there's no other fight in danger being canceled at the time I'm recording. Anyway, main event, Dustin Poirier, Justin Gaethje... Just a guaranteed banger. I think these guys are going to meet in the middle. They're going to trade. It's going to be crazy high volume. I do not expect there to be very much wrestling. I don't expect there to be any wrestling in this fight unless somebody gets really hurt and has to just resort to it to try to keep themselves alive. Because if you look at what happened the last time these two fought, like I mentioned, it was a fourth round finish by Dustin Poirier. Just a ton of output in this fight. 174 significant strikes landed by Dustin Poirier. 115 significant strikes landed by Justin Gaethje. So in that finish, we got around 110 fantasy points for Poirier. And that's what I think we're going to see out of the winner in this fight as well. I think it's most likely going to be a finish. But even if it isn't, I think the winner is going to score extremely well. As for who I'm picking to win... It's really hard to be uber confident in the winner of this fight, especially how the first one played out. It was so razor close. Poirier did age out the volume in each round that we saw, but still, Justin Gaethje was doing massive, massive damage with the leg kicks, which I expect him to be able to do again. If I remember correctly, I think Poirier actually suffered a torn quad from taking leg kicks from Gaethje, and he's just so tough that he just gritted through it, kept the damage, kept marching forward until he was able to get Gaethje out of there. Considering how the fight went in the first one, I have to think this matchup plays a little bit more in favor of Poirier than it does in Gaethje. Both of them have made some improvements over that time. Gaethje definitely more defensively responsible. Dustin Poirier also is somebody we've seen improve his boxing a good amount, and he already had a big advantage with the hands in the first fight. But one thing that I do think we should say about both of them, I don't think they're quite as durable as they were the first time we fought each other. We've seen Gaethje take just a metric shit ton of damage since that last fight. Poirier also, we've seen him in some absolute wars. So I think that both of them live for a finish. I'm going to lean towards the Poirier side, like I said before, because I think that after we saw the matchup played out in the first time, I think this one could be similar. I'm going to play both sides in GPPs, but probably like a 60-40 lean towards Dustin Poirier. And every single lineup I play in Rainmakers, will have either Poirier or Gaethje in it. Every single lineup I played in classic contests will have either Poirier or Gaethje. This is an absolute must fight, the must target fight for this event, especially considering where it's priced in the mid range. Got it not being uh, a massively big slate. The winner's gonna score well, also reasonably priced on both sides of this. So Poirier and Gechi gonna play a whole bunch of them in tournaments for sure. Going through some of the other fights here. And, you know, smaller card, I'm going to go through the majority of the fights and give some analysis here. Jan Blahovitz against Alex Pereira. And, you know, I know that we haven't seen a whole lot of wrestling from Jan over the course of his UFC career. In fact, we have not seen him land a takedown since his fight against Israel Adesanya, which was in March 6th of 2021. So it's been two years plus since we've seen Jan last land a takedown. But consider the matchups that he's been in since then. Does he want to go to the ground with Blover Teixeira? No, probably not. The fight against Alexander Rakic, what happened? Rakic ends up blowing out his knee. We didn't, get see, we didn't get to see that go deeper into the fight. And the fight against Ankaliev, who the hell is taking down Nagaman Ankaliev? So with all of that being in mind, I don't think we've seen matchups where it was really the best scenario for Jan to implement a wrestling-based game plan. And the last time we saw him in a matchup similar to Pereira was against Izzy, where he landed three takedowns. That was ultimately what won him the fight. And we've seen Izzy fight against Pereira, and we saw how evenly matched they are. With that in mind, why would Jan not have a similar game plan against Elix Pereira that he had against Izzy? So I think we do see him go to his wrestling a little bit here. And I think his grappling advantage is going to be massive in this matchup. I know that Pereira has been posting pictures that he's now a brown belt on Twitter. It doesn't really mean a whole lot to me. Jan's a black belt. I think he's a far superior wrestler and grappler. The other thing to consider too, Pereira was taken down and controlled by Izzy in their first fight. Izzy was able to land a takedown and had six and a half minutes of control time. If we go to the per-round data here, here it was. The round three, where Izzy landed the takedown, that first fight they had against each other. Izzy held top position for three minutes and 47 seconds. If Izzy is able to control Pereira for nearly an entire round after landing a takedown, Jan is going to slice through him on the ground and probably submit him. So if this fight plays out on the feet, Pereira is very live to knock Jan out, but... Considering that we also saw Pereira knocked out two months ago, I think on the feet, I would favor Pereira, but I give Jan a chance. If this fight goes to the ground, I heavily favor Yan and give Pereira no chance. So this fight is close to a pick 'em. I actually like betting on Jan in this matchup. And also for DFS purposes, I think there's a good amount of wrestling grappling upside. So my preferred side to target is going to be Jan. And based on our current ownership projections, I actually do think we're going to see a little bit more ownership going to the Pereira side. So a little bit of leverage to be gained as well from playing Jan. I'm gonna be targeting him as well for Rainmakers purposes. Going through the next fight here, which this is the one at the time recording mentioned at the top, I'm not sure if it's going to happen or not. Steven Wonderboy Thompson against Michelle Pereira. If this fight happens, Pereira missing weight by three pounds and already just being as big as he is, somebody we've seen willing to go to his wrestling in some of his previous fights. We saw him land takedown against Andre Fiala, landed three takedowns against Nico Price, two against Chaos Williams, landed one against Salim Amadev, and then ended up submitting him shortly after that in the third round. Suplexed him, got to the back, took them, that choked him out. The whole sequence took like eight seconds for Pereira to finish that fight with 45 seconds left when he first initiated the takedown in the third round of that fight. Pereira, if this fight happens, and I think it's most likely not, if, I, if, Wonderboy Thompson takes this fight. I'd be a little bit surprised considering his age. He already made weights. He was going to get paid his show money. I think it's pretty likely that Wonderboy turns the fight down. But if it happens, I have to favor Pereira more than I otherwise would have considering the weight miss and how big of a size advantage he's going to have over Thompson in this matchup. So... I don't know if he did it intentionally. I don't know if this was something where it was strategic by him or if it was a thing where there was a miscalculation with the weight cut. Pereira is a massive dude. He's willing to land takedowns. He's landing 1.58 per 15 minutes. And all of the recent losses by Wonderboy, it's due to him getting out wrestled and grappled. If it plays out on the feet, Thompson Starches dudes, even at this age that he's at right now, you know, we're seeing Wonder Boy, even though he is 40 years old now he's still looking really good in some of his fights against Kevin Holland, against Jeff Neal, against Vicente Luque, but when he fights guys that can implement a wrestling-based game plan, like a Gilbert Burns landed three takedowns, like a Bilal Muhammad who landed seven takedowns, he loses those fights. So if Pereira comes in with a big size advantage and chooses to wrestle and doesn't gas out, which we've seen him do dumb shit like, Pereira will come in, he'll breakdance on his way to the octagon, and then it's like, hey, look, he's gassed out halfway through the first round because he's been breakdancing for the last 15 minutes to amp up the crowd. As long as he avoids that kind of bullshit and Thompson takes the fight, I think that Pereira is one of the liver underdogs we have on the card and also has upside from a DFS perspective. So I prefer the Pereira side if this fight ends up happening. Next fight we have here is Tony Ferguson against Bobby Green. Everybody loves El Kakui, Tony Ferguson, But he's just washed at this point in his career. I don't think he could take damage in the same way he used to. You look at the recent fights, and a lot of them, by the way, no shame in the losses. Losing to Justin Gaethje, losing to Charles Oliveira, losing to Benil Dariush, losing to Michael Chandler. That'll happen, right? I don't really knock him for that. Where I really get concerned, though, is the knockout against Michael Chandler is brutal. Ferguson looked pretty decent in the first round. There was a point we are watching the first round going, holy shit, the old Tony is back. He dropped Michael Chandler early in that fight. I know he wasn't credited with a knockdown, but he did He dropped Chandler in that fight, he hurt him, and then we saw the second round start, and Chandler just the upkick from hell that just knocked all the life out of Tony Ferguson and seemingly took any of the fight that was left out of him and just ruined his chin. The fight against Nate Diaz, Tony looked terrible. If you guys remember the old Tony Ferguson fights, if he went into a battle with somebody, they were coming out with wounds. Ferguson was using all his weapons, especially his elbows. He was cutting people up. He's doing mass amounts of damage. Guys were leaving there looking like different human beings at the end of a fight against Tony Ferguson. Nobody bleeds and cuts easier than Nate Diaz in a fight. Tony wasn't able to put a mark on him. And Nate also was fighting like he was washed. It was just a very bizarre fight. Both of them looked pretty terrible. And I came away thinking Ferguson had absolutely nothing left in the tank. So I think Bobby Green is at the end of his run as well. I think he's past peak, but I think he's far more left left in the tank than Tony Ferguson. You can't even really look at the data for this fight, because if you were just to look at the numbers, be like, oh, look at all the output on the Tony side, and he has such a positive striking differential. But I mean, a lot of these stats are from years ago when it comes to Tony Ferguson. So in terms of DFS contest, I think Bobby Green doesn't have the most upside in the world. So he's not a prime target of mine. I do like him for Rainmaker's purposes, though, where we don't have to worry about the pricing. We just play the fighters we like the most. So Bobby Green, playable in DFS, but really more of a target for Rainmaker's purposes. Michael Chiesa against Kevin Holland. I love both sides of this fight, and it's really just a matchup clash, because Michael Chiesa, if he wins, he's going to be implementing his wrestling grappling the same exact way that we've seen Kevin Holland lose every single fight that he has recently lost in the UFC. Kevin Holland's losses as of late, other than the one against, you know, Stephen Thompson, where he just got outstruck, and he had his own wrestling grappling advantage, injuries, refused to go to it. But Shamayev takes down Kevin Holland in the early going, submits him in that fight. We saw the fight against Marvin Vittori. He took down Holland 11 times. Derek Brunson took down Holland 6 times. So if Kiesa is able to land takedowns, which I think he should be able to, then he wins the fight. So he's a very live underdog. The thing with Michael Kiesa, though, he's 34 years old. We haven't seen him fight in 2 years. He's been dealing with injuries. He's coming off a back injury. He had surgery. And there's a massive size difference here as well. Kevin Holland used to be a 185-pounder. Michael Chiesa used to be a 155-pounder. He was a big 155-er. Kevin Holland was a small 185-pounder, but still, Kevin Holland is six foot three, 2-inch height advantage over Chiesa, and then also a 6-inch reach advantage. So, if Michael Chiesa is not able to get in on the hips of Kevin Holland and land takedowns, he's going to get knocked out on the feet. So that's why I look at this fight as both sides have an immense amount of upside. It's a good fight to target in the mid-range. I'm going to lean towards the Kiesa side because I'm looking for live underdogs to target with upside. I'm going to be playing more of them. I like both sides for Rainmaker's purposes as well. So uh, play both these sides in tournaments. I'm going to be a little bit heavier on the Kiesa side because of the wrestling and grappling upside. And that there aren't just an abundance of underdogs I love for this card, especially if the Pereira-Thompson fight gets canceled, if you look here at some of the numbers, 3.39 takedowns per 15 minutes landed by Michael Chiesa, and only a 15% takedown defense from Kevin Holland. How many times have we seen this matchup where Kevin Holland just gets taken down and controlled, and he never has any urgency to get back to his feet? So I'm going to pick Michael Chiesa to win. Doesn't mean I'm fading Kevin Holland. Great fight to target for DraftKings purposes. Another one here that I know people are going to be really high on, Gabriel Bonfim against Trevin Giles. And yeah, Bone Theme, from what we've seen, is an excellent submission grappler. He's a very opportunistic finisher. And Trevin Giles is not somebody I or really anybody rates all that highly. The only thing you really have to be concerned with in this fight is the price tag of Bone Theme combined with his ownership as well. The most recent ownership we have on this fight is Bone Theme is currently projected to be the most popular pay-up option on the entire slate. And I understand why right just because of Bonfim having a fairly easy matchup he's a really big favorite but i do think he's a little bit too popular 38.4% is our current ownership projection on him so just under 40% the only fighter on the entire card actually that we are projecting to be more popular than Bonfim is Dustin Poirier outside of that he's going to be the most popular pay-up option and the second most popular fighter overall on the card so i like Bonfim i think he's a good payup option but you need a lot to go well for him to land in the optimal lineup. You need him to outscore Miranda Maverick. You need him to outscore Bobby Green. You need him to outscore Jake Matthews. You need to outscore Roman Kopilov. And then also, you need some underdogs to come through, considering what his price point is. And you need to have your lineup differentiated a little bit because he is projected for nearly 40% ownership. So I like Bonfim. I'm picking him to win. I pick him to win by submission. He's a very good submission grappler, like I said before. Trevin Giles also is somebody who I think could struggle fighting at altitude. We've seen him gas out in a number of his fights in the past, and in addition to that, he's not somebody who keeps a very high pace, and Bonfim does, so I think Bonfim should be able to land takedowns, and we saw his fight against Manir Lazez. he got the fight to the ground immediately, and then quickly submitted him, it took less than a minute, I think he could do something similar to that, to Trevin Giles if everything goes right, but I don't think Bonfim is the best striker in the world, so if he does not get a quick takedown, and then also get that finish, we could be looking at something like theme lands, you know, 10 to 15 significant strikes, gets a first round finish with one takedown, and then you're left with a good score of like around 100, 105 fantasy points, but it might not quite be enough relative to his price tag. So I'm going to be a little bit underweight to Bone Theme in large field tournaments. I love him for Rainmaker's purposes, uh, but for me, I'm going to try to pivot a little bit on the high range in classic contests. I wish my mouse just didn't randomly start scrolling up like that. It's really annoying to me, and I'm sure it's probably making guys dizzy as a viewer. Anyway, that aside... I don't typically put too much stock into interviews and weigh-ins over the course of the week, but Derek Lewis, to me, I think there's a couple narratives here that we need to talk about, and it's why I think that he's an underdog we should be targeting, and also, we're getting a good amount of leverage here. Derek Lewis is currently only projected for 12% ownership, whereas Marcos Rogério de Lima is projected for 36% ownership. I think after weigh-ins today, once we get an ownership update, some of those numbers could change a little bit, but Derek Lewis projects to be one of the lowest owned fighters on the entire card. People are extremely low on him because of his recent losing streak. Lost to Cyril. Gone. Did have the win over Chris Doukas, but who doesn't knock out uh, Chris Daukis? Gets knocked out by Ty Tuivasa. Gets knocked out by Sergei Pavlovich. And then gets finished by Sergey Spivak in a fight where Spivak just lands a million takedowns and gets him out of there in the first round. Scores a ton of fantasy points. But Derek Lewis this week, he had said that he had been having some health issues as of late. Now, this isn't unfamiliar for Derek Lewis. He's had knee issues in the past. He's had back issues. But he said his weight cut was so bad prior to the, to the uh, Spivak fight that he passed out leading up to it and then just didn't feel like himself in the octagon. And it's all well and good to hear him say that. But then he gets on the scale earlier today. and Derek Lewis had a six-pack. When have you guys ever seen Derek Lewis with a six-pack? You didn't, because it hasn't existed in the past. I really like the shape that he's coming in in this fight. He's a massive, massive underdog. The current time that I'm recording this, Derek Lewis, a bet that I placed early today, is plus 260 to win by KO over on Fanduel. I really like that bet, and it's not because I'm hyper confident Lewis wins. I just think this is close to a 50-50 against Marcos Rogeri de Lima. It's a heavyweight fight with a lot of variants. Everybody's on the de Lima side. He's a massive favorite. He's gotten pumped up as the week has gone on. And my thought process heading into the week was that Derek Lewis was probably a little bit washed up. But after seeing some of his interviews and looking how good his shape was on the scale, Derek Lewis has kind of talked myself into him having a little bit left in the tank here. So, like I said, not totally confident that he goes out and wins. But his recent level of competition is so much stiffer than Marcos Rogeri de Lima. This is a big step down in competition for Derek Lewis. It's a big step up in competition for Marcos Rogeri de Lima, who his recent fights have been against... Waldo Acosta, uh, Waldo Cortez Acosta against Andrei Arlovsky, against Blagoy Ivanov, against Ben Rothwell, against Maurice Green. So, sure, we saw Marcos Roger de Lima win those fights, but guess what? Derek Lewis would have won those fights as well. So, I'm going to pick Derek Lewis to win this fight. I'm going to take him to win by KO. I love him as a contrarian play. I love the leverage. Like I said, we only have him projected for 11.7% ownership right now. So large field tournaments give me Derek Lewis, and he's also available for very cheap in Rainmakers purposes. His core cards go for about a dollar right now. His rare cards are going for three dollars. So we're really looking for an upside way to fill out a lineup for cheap. I like Derek Lewis. The Rogério Delima side also makes sense for all formats, but I'm going to be underweight to the field on him. I'm going to be overweight to the field on Derek Lewis. If Delima wins, it's also probably by first or second round finish and. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong, and Derek Lewis is just totally washed. Roger DeLima maybe just chops him up with light kicks and then finishes him. We haven't seen Derek Lewis the best at taking damage as of late, but all that aside, I'm picking Derek Lewis to win by KO. I love him. He's my favorite contrarian play of the entire slate. And I think that's a way to play some of these high-leverage heavyweight fights. And think of it, it like the uh, Chepe Mariscal fight against Trevor Peak that we had a few weeks ago where... I was on the Mariscal side, but it wasn't because I was confident he won. It was just because it was a fight that I thought was close to a 50-50 fight where he was projected for only a fraction of the ownership of peak, and I do view this fight as being really similar to that one. Another fight here, Roman Kapilov against Claudio Ribeiro. is very dangerous in the first round, and that is about all he has going for him because I don't think he's very good at all as a fighter. He gets hurt a lot. He's super low output. So he's kind of early finish or bust. And I think Roman Kopylov has continuously looked better and better in his recent fight. So the fight against Albert Durayev, he ends up losing. Durayev's a very, very stiff opponent, though. And still, Kopylov had his moments in that fight. He was able to drop Durayev, nearly finished him at one point. Then we see Kopylov come back, look really solid against, uh, against uh, Alessio Di Chirico, But Di Chirico is in the highest level of competition. Still, Kopylov comes on, finished him in the third round, started to look better and better as the fight went along. And then last time where I was really impressed with Kopilov, his fight against Punaheli Soriano, because Soriano is super dangerous. Kapilov was able to avoid the big punches of him and just put a clinic on him in terms of output. 82 significant strikes landed to 39. We also saw him land a takedown in that fight, which not that he held a lot of top control, but it's something that I think we could end up seeing him go to in the fight against Claudio Rivera, who I don't think has the best takedown defense. And Roberto just not a fighter I rate all that well. And Kopylov, with all the strides that he's making as of late, and the fact that his hair looks a little bit similar to mine when I grow my hair out, not that weighs into the analysis, just, just saying that maybe I have a, a bias here where I have some similarities with Roman Kopylov. I think we do similar fighting in the octagon. You know, my fight against Jimmy Butler where I'm 1-0 against Jimmy Butler in a cage fight. Kopylov, I like him over Claudio Ribeiro, and I think he's a decent contrarian play too. We've got him projected for mid-20% ownership right now so I think he's a really good pivot off of Gabriel Bonfim at the high end because I don't really think that people are going to play Kapilov anywhere near as close as uh, Bonfim who we have projected for nearly twice as much ownership so Kapilov like him in tournaments also like him a whole bunch for Rainmakers purposes I don't have very much interest in Claudio Ribeiro the next fight we have is Jake Matthews against Darius Flowers and I have a couple of concerns with the Darius Flowers side number one he's taking this fight on about 10 days notice number two He's somebody who typically doesn't have great cardio and gasses out early in a lot of his fights. And then three, another fighter I think we should be concerned about fighting at elevation in Salt Lake City, considering those things that I just mentioned. He's a fighter who typically gasses out. He's taking the fight on short notice. He's now in a spot where we're seeing fighters more prone to gassing out because of the altitude. If he doesn't get Jake Matthews out of here in the first couple minutes, which he might do, Darius Flowers has incredible power. And when he does win, it tends to be by early finish. I think Jake Matthews just smashes him here. And Matthews just has to survive those first couple minutes. Flowers is worth some shots in large field tournaments because he has the early finish potential. And we only have him projected for 14% ownership right now. So a live tournament, dark play for sure. Rainmaker's purposes, I lean heavily toward the Jake Matthews side. I think he wins this fight probably four times out of five and probably scores well. I think once we see Flowers gas out, I think Matthews should be able to take him down and probably submit him on the mat as well. So it's either Flowers in the first couple of minutes or Jake Matthews, however he wants to finish the fight. So picking Jake Matthews to win, he's also somebody who I view as a pretty good pivot off of Bone theme. I'm not going to totally write off Darius Flowers. He's not a prime target for me, but I'll take some shots in large field tournaments, especially when you consider this is a slate where we don't have all that many fights to look at. And anywhere that I could find an underdog that I think has a chance to score a decent amount of fantasy points, I'll take shots on him. CJ Vergara against Vinicius Salvador. I thought Salvador has looked terrible so far in the UFC. I don't think Victor Altamirano is a very good fighter. And we saw him take Salvador down three times. Also outstruck him. The only thing, the other thing also that was really concerning about Salvador, there was no output on his side. Fight goes to decision. He only lands 47 significant strikes. He kind of stood at range and did nothing for a lot of the fight as well. He had the fight against Shannon Ross where he won on the contender series, but what have we seen since then from Shannon Ross? We've seen that everybody who touches Shannon Ross hurts him and finishes him. Cletson Rodriguez finished him in 59 seconds. Jesus Aguilar finished him in 17 seconds. So you look at that, and you know you don't want to knock somebody for winning because he won the fight, but like, how much are we supposed to take away from the fact that he finished Shannon Ross in the second round? Everybody else has finished Shannon Ross like the first shot they've landed on him. So I don't really give him any credit for that fight, and then he just looks so terrible in his UFC debut. And I think Vergara is a better fighter than Victor Altamirano. If Vergara was fighting Altamirano, I'd pretty comfortably pick Vergara to end up winning that fight. And then you also see that Salvador doesn't have the best cardio. He gasses late in fights. Another one, like I said, this is taking place at altitude. Salvador missed weight by a couple of pounds. He looked terribly drained on the scale as well. All these things are going to wane on the cardio. Vergara is so difficult to put away. We saw it in his last fight. So to me, it's like Salvador's finish or bust. But how do you put away C.J. Vergara? Daniel Lacerda in the last fight, pull up the stats here, Vergara in the first round gets knocked down twice, Lacerda lands 44 significant strikes, Vergara survives, and then Lacerda himself out trying to finish Vergara, so then Vergara just puts it on Lacerda in the second round of that fight. 63 significant strikes, 74 total strikes, puts him away in the second round. So to me, with everything we've seen out of with everything we've seen recently out of Venetia Salvador in his fights, pulling the stats up here, he has to get an early finish to win, and I just think it's very difficult to finish to finish Vergara early in fights. So I'm picking Vergara to win. I think he probably wins by a second or third round finish. So somebody else who I think is a pretty live target here. I don't really like uh, I don't really like Salvador all that much for tournament purposes, especially when you consider that. It looks like he's picking up some ownership. We've got Salvador projected for high 20% ownership right now. Same as Vergara, but I, I, I strongly favor the Vergara side of this fight. So that's my preferred side. And uh, Salvador, something I'm going to have very minimal exposure to, if any, by the time the dust settles with all my lineups. Matthew Semmelsberger against Uros Medich. Medich, another fighter who I think has some early finishing potential. But I'm really impressed with Semmelsberger when he is striking. In terms of the IQ, doesn't exist. In terms of the wrestling defense, doesn't exist. But I don't really think a Rose Medich is all that much of a risk to go ahead and take down or even attempt takedowns against Matthew Semmelsberger. Medich didn't land any takedowns against Omar Morales, and we've seen Morales, somebody who can be taken down in his fights. He, get, he got finished fairly quickly by Jalen Turner. You know, no harm in that. He finishes Elon Cruz. He finishes Mikey Gonzalez on the contender series. We've never even seen this guy go ahead and shoot takedowns. And if this fight is going to play out on the feet, you just don't want to mess around on the feet with Semmelsberger because he has so much power. His last fight against Jeremiah Wells, the conventional wisdom going into that fight was that Jeremiah Wells had a power advantage, and that's just not how it played out. Semmelsberger hurt Wells every single time that he touched him. The thing was, Semmelsberger just fighting like an idiot would hurt Wells and then would find himself in some of these wrestling grappling scenarios where Wells would be able to get on top of him and was able to recover by holding top control time so I think Semmelsberger should be able to finish Uros Medich and put up a pretty big score in this fight. I love the power of Matthew Semelsberger. And right now, if you do look at his ownership, he's projected for a little bit over 30% ownership in our projections right now. But considering his price tag at 8,600, I think it's very much warranted. Medic, on the other hand, is projected for right around 20% ownership. And he's somebody that I'm going to be underweight to the field too because I am uh, pretty, pretty heavily favoring the Semelsberger side of the fight. Next one here. And the final fight of the card, it is the opener Miranda Maverick against Priscilla Quechuera. And Maverick looked like absolute dog shit in her last fight against Jasmine Jazz DeVicious, where she was taken down once and was also just controlled a ton by Jazz DeVicious. So there were some of these grappling scenarios where Maverick would go for her own takedowns, wasn't able to land them, and then Jazz DeVicious would land on top. So even though it wasn't credited as a takedown for Jazz DeVicious, she ended up holding seven and a half minutes of control time in that fight per round, two and a half minutes of control, oh, sorry, two minutes, 50 seconds of control time in the first round, three and a half minutes control time in the second round, one and a half minutes control time in the third round. So Jazz DeVicious is able to control her on the mat. And that's what we see from Maverick fights is if she has a wrestling and grappling advantage, she usually does well and wins those fights. When she's fighting somebody that's physically stronger than her and is able to win those exchanges, she loses. So the fight against Aaron Branchfield, Blanchfield lands seven takedowns, is able to hold a bunch of top control time. Now, in hindsight, that's not a bad loss to Aaron Blanchfield at all. I'm going to kind of write off the Macy Barber fight because that was a robbery. Maverick won that fight, even if the judges disagreed. The other fights, she lands three takedowns against Jillian Robertson, held a bunch of top control time, and Robertson's a pretty good submission grappler and wrestler in her own right. So Jillian Robertson... By the way, when she fought Priscilla Quechuera, she was able to out-wrestle and out-grapple Quechuera. and ultimately, she ended up submitting Quechuera in the first round. So, if Miranda Maverick was able to out-wrestle and out-grapple Jillian Robertson to a victory, and Jillian Robertson was able to, out-land, was able to out-wrestle and out-grapple Quechuera to a first-round finish, it really stands to reason to me that Miranda Maverick, as long as she's able to avoid Quechuera's power on the feet, She's probably going to be able to out wrestle, out grapple, catchuera, put up a pretty decent fantasy score. So catchuera has you know a puncher's chance to win the fight, but I'm picking Maverick to win and another fighter who I think makes for a pretty good pivot off of Gabriel Bonefim. So there are some price tag concerns with Maverick being ninety four hundred dollars, but coming off her fight against Jazz vicious, where she looks so terrible, I don't think the public is going to want to play Miranda Maverick, and I think that's something that's going to have her coming in underweight to the field on Gabriel Bonefim and. Just a bunch of options that we could use to pivot off of a chalky bone theme. But fighters like Miranda Maverick, fighters like Roman Kopilov, those are two of my favorite pivots to get away from bone theme if I want to differentiate some of my lineups. So that's a walkthrough of all the fights that we have for the UFC card. A couple of bets that I like just to recap also. I like Jan Blakovic. The fight is right around to pick him right now, and I like his side. And then also Derek Lewis, I like it plus 260 to win by KO. But now let's go ahead and look at, the Rainmaker side of things, I'll open up a lineup. Uh, I'll open up a pack here, and they'll build lineups with some of the cards. I already have a bunch of cards in my portfolio, but I feel I might as well open a pack because it's fun to open packs. So let's see what I get, and uh, maybe we'll get something good that I could use in my lineups here. Well, oh, there's a Bone Theme. There is a Copy so That's a pretty good start. A Pereira. Don't mind him if the fight happens. There's a Yan card. And a Poirier card. This is actually a really strong pack of cards. Like, these are all playable fighters. Now let's go ahead to the lobby. And I'll build out an elite contest lineup. And I've got a bunch of cards of all the different fighters. Let's see, do I pass the uh, location check test? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, so Dustin Poirier, Justin Gaethje... I think that you want this in the captain spot in just about every lineup. Like there are fighters like Bone Thieme, Miranda Maverick. that You could also take some shots in the captain. But, but by and large part, you want Poirier or Gaethje in that captain spot. Oh, I have a serial number one Poirier here. So I'm going to play Poirier in my captain spot. I'm going to filter by elites here because I have to play one other elite in this. And yeah, I'll throw a Maverick in here. All right, I actually want to unfilter because the rest of the cards I'm going to use are going to be rares for this lineup. All right, so Bone Theme, I think he's a pretty safe play, so I'm going to throw Bone Theme in here. So we've got Poria, we've got Maverick, we've got a Bone Theme. Now, who else do we want to take a chance on? So we've got Semmelsberger, who's a big favorite, and another thing too is since I already have a couple of these with really low serial numbers, I got to play a chalkier lineup, and I'm going to win tiebreakers because of better serial numbers. We've got Bobby Green, who's really safe to win. Let's see. I hope I get some Jake Matthews cards, because I don't really have very many of them right now. Don't have any at the rare or elite level. All right, scrolling to the top. I'll fill out the lineup with... The Kiesa and Holland fight is a good one to target. But I'm going to throw Bobby Green in here. And then where else do I want to go? I'll go with Kiesa. Yeah, I'll throw Kiesa in here as well. So all fighters with upside, Dustin Poirier, whoever wins the main event is putting up a big score. Then you got fighters like Miranda Maverick and Gabriel Bone Theme that I think both make for really strong pay-up options for classic contests, both pretty safe plays with a lot of upside for Rainmaker's purposes. And then Kiesa is somebody who, you know, high variance fight, but if he wins, he should score really well. And then Bobby Green, maybe not the same upside of a lot of these other fighters, but I do think he's pretty safe to win against a... Uh, Aged and fairly washed Tony Ferguson. So that does it for me, guys. I broke down all the fights this week. Thank you very much for watching. If you haven't done yet, like the video, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Also, if you haven't checked out Chalkboard, it is a free-to-download chat app. In hindsight, I wish we would have talked about this a little bit more at the top of the show, but I'm doing some giveaways in there, giving away some subscriptions to stuff like Odd Shopper, BetPro, the different betting products we have at Stochastic and Odd Shopper. So, If you want access to free stuff as well as other free bets I throw in there, go download Chalkboard, which is completely 100% free to download. So I hope to see you guys in there. Good luck with this event. Hopefully, I have a bunch of lineups to finish in the top five in Rainmakers like I did last week, and we can make some profit and uh, carry on with with the good summer months. So have a good one, guys. Hope you enjoy the card. It should be a banger.
0: Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this basketball season? Test your skills on prize picks. The most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Right now, prize picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash get100 and use code get100. That's code get100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize picks. Daily fantasy sports made easy.